family. So good to see you. Thank you for, for, for being here. I just, um, my heart was just really touched during, during worship. Just really sensed the, just the presence of Jesus here in a really unique way. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, uh, feel free to, to, to go to Matthew 7. But I'm just going to pray for us. Um, I just really sense just the word that kept going through my heart is that God is getting some of us out of this place of being in, in, in almost like uh, when you're driving and you put it on autopilot and you just kind of cruise, that God is changing the cruise control for some of us in the way that we see him, the way that we see our church, the way that we see our city, the way that we see our, the scriptures, that God is, is moving us out of this place of just um, comfort and ease and into a, a new awareness of the beauty of Jesus, the magnificence of who God is a, as a, a creator, the, the glory of, of his, his love, his kindness, his forgiveness, and his commitment to you and I in this day and age. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you are doing in this moment of you, are, you, you love us enough to get us out of cruise control. Amen. God, that um, there's nothing wrong with with flowing and a momentum. But God, when it comes to the way that we see you, we never want to be an autopilot. The way that we see your word, the way that we see your city, when the, in the way that we see our family and our spiritual development, we do not want to be an autopilot. God, will you graciously enter into this place and allow for us to be now jolted into a new awareness of who you are, your love for us, and what you want to do in us and through us. In your name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 to 12, and we're going to be going through spiritual battles on judging. And I just want to, as a subtitle, ask the question, will mercy triumph? Will mercy triumph? Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Judge not... That you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is, that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye where there is uh, the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then... You will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not trample. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks will receive. The one who seeks will find. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you... Uh, if his son asks for, for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's an easy text. Lord, thank you for the, the reading of your word. Amen. Chapter 5, we are doing a, a study of spiritual battles, 
through the Sermon on the Mount. It's chapters 5, 6, and 7. If you haven't gotten a chance to go back and read through this, I highly encourage you to both read through the, through the text, uh, parlay it with some really good, good messages. Chapter 5, um, we, are, we dive into the king, Jesus, who's creating a new kingdom and is inviting us to discover what does it look like to live in this new kingdom. And, and he's, he's helping us see what it looks like to both follow him and flourish at the same time. Now, the flourishing that he's talking about is an upside-down flourishing. It's not what we expect. In chapter 6, the king is introducing a kingdom where single-hearted righteousness from the king's followers is not just possible. It's what we're made for. And, and he goes on to, to talk about how valuable this kingdom is. It's, it's, so, it's so valuable. It, it now produces restoration, freedom, life. And this kingdom, Jesus describes it as the following. That it's, it's like a great banquet. It's a wedding feast. It's a father running down the road to welcome his, his home, his, his son, who is on his way home. It's a person looking for a lost coin and calling their friends because what was lost is now found. It's angels rejoicing in the presence of God because sinners are saved. It's treasure in the field that those that find it sell everything that they have to now get the treasure and do it out of joy. That this, this king is describing a kingdom that is filled with anticipation, with hope, with purpose. And he wants to protect this kingdom. Floating out of the value of this kingdom is now uh, in not only an invitation, but a command where Jesus says, do not judge. That the kingdom of God is antithetical with a heart full of judgment. In 1497, Michelangelo created one of the, the uh, artistic wonders of the world. It was Michelangelo's Pieta. It's Jesus in the arms of, of Mary. It's in St. Peter's, Peter's Basilica in Vatican City. It was created over the course of two years from 1497 to 1499. He finished it at the age of 25. There was rumblings uh, that because this was an unsigned paint or an unsigned sculpture, there was rumblings that uh, Cristoforo Salani was the artist. It was going around and Michelangelo heard about this. And so by candlelight, he snuck in and he carved his name on the sash. Michelangelo Florentino made this. That's what this is in Italian. Something beautiful. Designed to lift the viewer to the Almighty. To, to see the beauty of God and the sacrifice of Jesus. Was defaced and in the perspective of Michelangelo destroyed because the heart was filled with pride and ego. And in repentance, he promised to never sign another sculpture again. What I believe that Jesus is doing in these texts that we just read is he is describing the kingdom of God. Describing this, 
this flourishing that we are made for, a king that is to be honored. And he's saying that if you judge, what you are doing is you're defacing God's people and you're defacing God's kingdom. You're defacing it. You're sneaking in and you're creating something that never should have existed out of pride and ego. And this is this idea of judging, but what, what the, with these three words, do not judge, uh, these are the three words that the world has, these are, the, are Jesus' most famous words. Let's just start there. These have uh, more often than not been captured and then used for different purposes. And in our politically correct society, these three words may be the most famous sayings. They're interpreted to mean that no one has the right to tell other people they are right or wrong. True or false, good or evil. Is this really what Jesus was saying? So I think the main question we've got to ask is, what is judging? What does it really mean in the text? Great question. Thank you for asking. Well, this word judge, it actually means to analyze or evaluate, to condemn or avenge, now, the former senses, to analyze or evaluate, they're clearly commanded to believers. In 1 Corinthians 5, 12, and 1 John 4, 1, I'm not going to read it. You can do it. It's really good. Go back and read it. it. We're commanded to judge. But judge how? To evaluate or to analyze. The latter is a job fit and reserved for God alone. Now, there are occasions when we render a negative evaluation of others, but our purpose should be constructive, not with retribution. But the human story is a story that is all about man subverting God and taking God's role. That, that now what we do is we step into this space and go, God's role is to judge, but I want to do that because I want to be God. So, fish swim, dogs bark, humans judge. It's what we do. It is this bent in the human heart to be God. And what Jesus is working to try to create in these few verses is, is he's trying to create a culture of how relationships are to be managed. How, how we are to reflect the king to one another and to the world. And he's simply just saying, let me do my job. Don't do it for me. Let me do my job. I love what Jackie Hill Perry, she throws it down on Twitter by saying this. You'll rarely meet a joyful, self-righteous person. You can't carry your own burdens, walk in that amount of pride, be critical of everybody and their mama, and expect to be happy. That Jesus is simply saying, I want to do my job. Will you trust me with it? That we're not formed that because of sin. We, we will always judge wrong. That, that God is simply, he's not trying to remove something that just from a, a, a tactical or aggressive approach of let me have it. He's saying, I want to protect you. Let me have it. See, judging is, has been adopted within our culture. We have a mechanism of criticism. And there's, there's a, a psychological idea 
used in social science is called fundamental attribution error. You've seen this and experienced this on Instagram, at home, with your, with your spouse, with your teachers. It's this idea that when I see something I don't like, I assign it to their character. But when I do the same thing, it's because of circumstances. That we're merciful on ourselves, we're harsh uh, when it comes to the error of those around us. Like, for example, you're, you're driving on Route 28, you're, you're trying to get from, from here to, to Warrington, and of course there's 10 hours of traffic and, and someone cuts you off. And you go, marijuana's been legalized. <laughs> Drugs are everywhere. I knew it. I knew it. That person has been token it. I know they have. Puff, puff, give. They have been smoking the Chiba. I know it. Now, a week later, you're on your way to church, and you cut somebody off, and they give you a little greeting and a honk. And you say, oh, it's because of the babies. I got the babies in the car. I got, I, I've, got, I've got to get the babies to, to church because they got to get to church. We, we go so easy on ourselves, and yet we instantly assign the judgment. It goes beyond just judgment, and now we attack people with a faulty character. The power dynamics. You combine that with just the power dynamics of the power of your opinion. That, that your opinion can change the trajectory of a company by simply reviewing it. That the pronouncement and enforcement of my verdict has power. Hence, and then you enter judging. Judging is simply announcing and enforcing our verdict upon other people's lives. And so we do this. We do this by shadow banning, ghosting, canceling. Got quiet. So instant, like it's, it's so easy to now take this cultural mechanisms that we're steeped in and we, we, we see it, we feel it, that we are so easy on ourselves. We give ourselves so many excuses and we go off the edge in accusation with someone else. And, it, and it's just, it's, it's, it's guided in the culture that we live in. Co-founder Julia Cordray and, and uh, Nicole McCullough they created this app called People. And People is an app where you can literally go onto it and you can, you can um, give scores based on your interaction with people. You can rate and review them based off of your interactions. So if they're snobby with you, you give them a low score and say they're obnoxious. They're kind to you or they look good, you give them a high score. If you believe someone is, again, it, it is all about scores, but you have the power in your hand to be able to cast your judgment on how you think they are and you announce it to the world as a result, humiliating you and empowering your, yourself. Now, of course, this app has drawn tremendous criticism based on concerns about hate speech, cyberbullying, etc. Yet often these same kinds of judgments, they live in our hearts every day. And then you've got judging in the church. Now, we understand judging in society, but you would assume that in this 
sacred space called the church, that there would be distinctions. And often there are not. Stephen Mosley talks about how just the impact of, ju- of judgmentalism in the church that has so frequent, it's, it's, so f- it's frequent, it's, it's, it's been long-standing, it's a slow drip, and now it's impacted the way that the society around us sees the church. This is what he says. We are a peculiar people set at odds, at odd angles to the world rather than being an attractive light illuminating it. As a result, our morality calls out rather feebly. It whines from the corner of a sanctuary. It awkwardly interrupts pleasures. It mumbles excuses at parties. It shuffles along out of step and slightly behind the times. It's often regarded by our secular contemporaries as a narrow, even trivial pursuit. Tragically, religious goodness manages to be both intimidating and unchallenging all at the same time. What a double indictment. We're not only hard, but we're boring. So how does judgment work? Like, what is the, like, what is, how does this thing play out in our life? When verse three is the key, this is what it says. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now this if you look at it, there's, there's two words for sight. It's, it's look and notice. Blepo is look, but there's another tricky pregnant word. Katanoeo is this word. And what this word means is, I, I'm just going to kind of fly through, 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 through this. This is what it, what, it, what it means. To direct one's whole mind to an object to consider reflectively, to study, to examine, to immerse oneself in it, and hence to apprehend it, its whole compass. It is an apprehension of a subject by intellectual absorption. It's to consider, to ponder, to come to know, to grasp, to understand. What Jesus is saying, he's saying that, that you have a huge log in your eye, but you don't care about that because you are catanoeo. You are fully focused on the speck in somebody else's eye. You're studying it. You have a stakeout where you're looking. You're waiting for them to make a mistake. You are, you're consciously pursuing what is it that they're doing and how can I find error to now use it and now bring ammunition to it called judgment that ends up boomeranging, boomeranging back around to, to both attack and to dehumanize. So the result is that it's lustful pleasure out of discovering the mistakes and failings in others. It's once you discover it, it's the worst possible. You take the worst possible spin on the motivation of others and you place it on them. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying that when you judge, what you're actually doing is you're waiting, fully focused, fully attentive, fully passionate about trying to figure out almost like you're, you're just scooping Almost like you're gold mining. You're just trying to find it. I got to get a speck. I got to find an error. I want to study for mistakes so I can use it against them. This is what Jesus is saying. That what happens is that these faults, they become a verdict about 
other people's lives. Now, we usher them into the courts of our hearts. We mentally rehearse the charge against them. And then we dispense a verdict about their value and conduct. So this is what it looks like. They are lazy, therefore I withhold help. They're disorganized. They're unreliable. They don't value theology. They're shallow. They don't closely watch their kids. They're irresponsible. They're overweight. They're greedy. They're in debt. They're impulsive. But see, the goal here isn't just to, when it comes to to this focus of of judging, it's not just this one-time glance or one-time response that the goal of judging is to transition you from something that you do to something that you are. You don't merely judge people, you actually become judgmental. And this is spiritual deformation. This is writing on the beauty of the pieta. We judge others' preferences. We no longer value them for what they are like, but for what they like. We judge their theology. We show contempt for, what, for, who, for, for those who don't interpret Scripture through our own lens. We judge their motives. We doubt the intentions because the behavior we see. We judge their successes. We assume their level of achievement cannot come without compromise or favoritism. And see, the goal of this is, is to now characterize someone. Now, we've all, I, I love this. This is a picture of Tom Cruise. I love this one because what, to, and we've all been at spaces where we've gotten a caricature, where it's a drawing of you that takes certain attributes of who you are, blowing it up to do what? To dehuman. You don't look human. He doesn't look human. Look at the teeth. I mean, the forehead. I mean, the eyebrows. He doesn't look. He looks like he's an animal about to eat me. Like, this is what, this is what, what happens as a result of now going from judging to now being judgmental. We live to take certain attributes of what people do. And we take that out. And that becomes who they are. And the result is we dehumanize them. We dehumanize them. Jesus knew that sin distorts our vision, makes others into caricatures of their true selves, and and fails to take into account the sin in our own lives. Makes them tools to reinforce reinforce our own self-righteousness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, judgment is the, and I highly encourage you um, to read the book, The Cost of Discipleship. I used that as a primary resource when I was studying. It was written in the 1940s uh, before he was killed, uh, was, um, was put to death by Hitler. Judgment is the forbidden objectivization of the other person which destroys single-minded love. Judging others makes us blind. Whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. And what happens is that when we do this, 
Judging is subverting the role of God, and we become judges. When we judge, we subvert the role of Satan, and we become Satan to someone else. The role of Satan is to accuse. That's, that's what he does. That's his job on the earth, is to roam around accusing people. Do you realize that when you judge, you take his job and do it for him? Do you realize that? That when I judge someone, I am now playing the role of Satan in someone's life. And our spiritual deformation deforms someone else. See, this, this, this idea of now looking at a speck and making and studying it and, and now being captivated by it, the result of it, according to Jesus, he says that now we become hypocrites. He deems us a hypocrite. A hypocrite, in the original language, is it's, it's the idea of a mask. It's an imposter. It's an actor. It's a pretender. It's a role player. That when we take the role of God and judge someone else, dehumanizing them in the process, making ourselves look better, we are hypocrites. And if you just simply go to Matthew 23, Jesus gives seven woes to the Pharisees, where he cries, he yells. I mean, this is an emotional Jesus who is communicating his ire and his anger and his displeasure and his brokenness. For those, the, the Pharisees and Jesus, their theology was basically the same. Do you realize that? They saw the Torah through very similar lenses. It was the way by which they practiced it and forced others to carry heavy burdens that Jesus hated. They were forcing others to carry burdens they wouldn't carry themselves. And so you have the woes of the Pharisees. And Jesus goes at them. And he says, if you judge, you're hypocrites. Corey, where's the good news? So what's the alternative? What can combat the deformation of judging? And so this is, this is, my, this is, this is what Jesus is, is now leading us to. If you can catanoeo, a speck in someone's eye, you can also catanoeo the mercy of God. Amen. You can sit and study it. You can sit and be at all and amazed by it. You can be overwhelmed. And you may be asking, well, Corey, what in the world is God's mercy? When we had, so we've, we, have, we have four kids. They're very much older now driving. And I was talking to my daughter about one time in which I was walking by her room when she was supposed to be doing a nap time. And I, and I told her, Brookie, you had one moment where there was a smell that was coming out of your room that I had never smelled before. It, 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 it smelled like it was straight out of the pit of hell itself. And, and I, I, I walked by it and it was, it just, it took my breath away how, how bad it was. And so I stopped and I went back in and I opened up the door and I walked in. If you've ever walked into a room that has a, you know, contents in a diaper that have been sitting there for quite some time, 
the, like the smell isn't a smell. It's almost like a fog. It's, it's like it takes, it starts, makes you start to, to water with your eyes. You can't see straight. It's terrible. And so I looked over and I saw my daughter. My daughter um, had the, the uh, full contents of her, her diaper um, overflown. And she had discarded what she did not need. Took it off. But in the process of taking it off, she got it on her. And, and it was everywhere. And, and so because she had it on her, she wanted to get it off of her. And so she started wiping it on the walls. And it just, she just was wiping it. She was wiping it on herself. She just was, she did, it was on her. She didn't like it was on her. But, but the fact that it was on her, she was trying to clean it up. The more she cleaned it up, the more mess she made. And so I saw her and I, I, I went to her and um, as a loving father, I just looked at her and said, Brooke, what are you doing? Why would you do this to yourself? I'm kidding. I didn't say that. I, I, there was a clean little spot on her ankle. And I just grabbed the ankle and lifted her up. And she's, she's just wobbling, poop everywhere. And take her straight to the bath. Immerse her lovingly into <laughs> bubbles. Cleaned her. Wrapped her in a fresh towel. Brought her back to the room. Rocked her to sleep. Do you realize that the mercy of God is you and I being immersed in filth and trying to clean it up? And the more we clean it up, the more mess we make. And it stinks and it smells and Jesus enters into the nastiness of our sin. And he comes close and he grabs us by our ankles and he doesn't scold us. He brings us to his blood. He dips us in his blood. He wraps us in his holiness. And do you realize the Bible says that his mercy is new where? Every single morning. His mercy is something you can catanoeo. You can stare at it. You can look at it. You can be amazed by it can lead you to tears. It can lead you to courage. That the mercy of God is the only way by which we can respond to this king of being overwhelmed by the fact that, that his, his loving kindness led me to repentance. And I mean, isn't this what David says in Psalms 51? I mean, like this is... Hold on. Yeah. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Like, like this, is what, this is what Jesus has now committed himself to, to, to doing is a commitment to now come close. And now he wants to take our sin, his grace, his mercy, and he wants to every day reintroduce us to it. And, and now point us back to it. And have us gaze at it. Come boldly to it every day. To now humbly look at it. But see, what this text is saying, Matthew 7, is that when you look up and see God's mercy, you look in and repent. You can now start to handle 
the logs in your eye. You look up, and then you look in. You look up, and you look in. Repentance, brokenness, renew, pent view. It is, you can now see clearly the logs are out. You can now actually have a new view as you see the, the mercy of God for what it is. The fact that it will not give up on you. And as you see it, you don't look at everybody else and their problems. You go, oh my goodness. You go in. But you don't just go in. You go out. See, this is what, what the text says. Is that, that as you begin to have this posture of mercy that points you up. Reminds you of now your own brokenness and you are, are light, living a life of surrender. Then what he says, he says, now I want you to be a surgeon. Now I want you to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is what Jesus is saying. That we do it with humility. We do it with kindness. We do it with care. We do it with gentleness. We, we are committed to beginning with mercy that goes up. Repentance that goes in. But we... Jesus is now saying, I want you to live in this state where you are now supporting one another and seeing clearly. You see, this text cannot be read individually. It is read corporately. It's read corporately that we need each other. I meet with Pastor June. And when we meet, we, we start up and look at God's mercy. We go in and begin to repent. And then we lovingly begin to take the specks out of each other's eyes. Like we need each other to be able to do this. Like this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that not to go silent, do not judge means I can't say anything. No, no. Do not judge means I start with the mercy of God. I'm amazed by his mercy. I'm overwhelmed by it. It leads me to repentance. And then as I repent, I'm repenting in front of people and reminding them, hey man, the way that you speak to your wife I, mean, I think there may be a different way. Let me walk with you as you're struggling with what you look at online. Can I walk with you? See, this is what it looks like to now live in this world of community. But then you, you have to be asking yourself, Corey, how do I do this? Like, how, like are you telling me to just repent more? You, you're telling me, Corey, now go out and not be judgmental. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Because the text gives us, the next part, ask, seek, and knock. You, you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you know what? I know you can't do this, but guess what? Come to me. Come on in. Come on in. Ask, seek, and knock. It's, it's Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Like this is... Like what we have in Jesus is we have one who wants to reorient our love away from power and control and now, now looking for the mistakes in others and reorient our love from self to God. This is what St. Augustine says. He said, there can only be two basic loves, the love of God unto the forgetfulness of self or the love of self unto the forgetfulness and denial of God. See, the presence of God is what Jesus is offering us. You see, it's, it's a, he's saying, come, ask, seek, knock. I want to get in the trenches with you. And oh, by the way, he now talks about, now, I, now you have the Father in heaven who's going to give you what you ask for. Yeah. You see, in, in this 
two, three chapter kind of section of the Sermon on the Mount that would take him about 15 to 20 minutes to preach. Do you realize he mentions the love of the Father over 15 times? The love of the, the Father is in the journey of becoming more like Jesus in the kingdom of God. The Father is involved. And the Father is simply saying, Come, come. You're broken? Come. Come. Do you see issues over people? Come. Are you overwhelmed by your own mistakes and you now, you take it out on someone else? Come. Come to me. Come to me. Not, and not only is the father waiting, but he, he says, ask, seek, and knock. This mechanism of prayer in community reforms the ruggedly judgmental heart. This is, this is why prayer is in community is life-changing because what it does is it not only ushers us into the presence of God, it now allows for the presence of God to now begin to change us, shape us. And in a world of sarcasm, a world where we attack, in a world where we critique, this is the space that our spiritual formation occurs. I'll, I'll end with this verse. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. John Tyson says, says this, triumph indicates battle. For mercy to burst forth in our lives, it will have to defeat something. And that something is judgment. These are the forces at war in the human heart. Mercy must defeat the desire to be right the desire to criticize, the desire to judge, the desire to point out the fault. The way of mercy is the way of Jesus, and this is the way we all long for. God's presence, it wants to actively empower you and I to be a student of God's mercy instead of a student of the mistakes of others. Sitting at the feet of Jesus instead of sitting at the feet of someone else waiting for them to make a mistake. So I... I've got a few application points. Will mercy triumph? Will it triumph as a parent when your child repeats the same mistake again and again and again? Will mercy triumph? Will mercy triumph as a spouse when your husband or your wife doesn't seem to change? Will you study failure? Will you study God's mercy? Will mercy triumph in your own spiritual journey where it's so easy to fixate on your failures, where you fix your eyes on Jesus and his mercy. We triumph, will mercy triumph in the way we see the LGBTQ world? A quick I am to focus on an issue and forget about the person. Their pain, God's commitment to mercy. Mercy triumph in the way I see the poor. So easy to be dismissive, uncompassionate, yet God's mercy is generous towards me and is designed to be generous towards them. Will mercy triumph in the transition that we have here at GCC? Will you study the mistakes of this new leadership? Will you wait for them to make a mistake? Will you study 
draw close to the mercy of God. Pray for your leaders. Serve your leaders. Love your leaders in the midst of this season of transition. Where are you today? Is the fundamental attribution error is at work? Is it at work in your heart? Setting up standards that you don't live out yourself. You find yourself leaning in towards accusing people. Is there hypocrisy active? Do you just need a fresh touch of the mercy of God? Let's pray. Father, I am amazed at your grace, your loving kindness, and just the simplicity and yet the potency of this word. There's no action steps here outside of, God, we need more of you. We need more of you. Will you lead us to surrender where we see you freshly? Will you lead us to repentance? Some of us, our heart is just so hard. So hard. So hard towards ourselves. It's hard towards the world. And yet, this is a moment where the mercy of God wants to soften and break through. Some of us, we finally, we're, we're beginning to get out of the cruise control of of judgment, of just being judgmental towards everyone around us. We just are waiting for them to make a mistake. And yet today's a day where Jesus is reminding you of how much he's loved you so you can now love them through mercy. Jesus, start with me. Start with me, Corey Bendix. I repent. Repent for the for the way that I've expected everyone else to do things that I just don't do myself. God, I, I keep records of wrong. I'm so sorry. I repent. Lord, will you allow for us to be a people that are quick to repent and quick to gather around each other in community, where we support each other in this process of seeing right through removing the specks in one another's eyes. Help us to do it gently. Help us to do it with love and compassion and care. Help us to, to be committed to start with mercy, but not end there. Not end there. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in your people. In your name we pray. Amen.